Hey everyone, welcome to Grubstakers. Um, this week we're going to give you a rundown of the new Dodd-Frank legislation, uh, the bill that just passed the Senate. Um, we're just going to break down how it affects uh, banking, financial institutions, um, all of that this week on Grubstakers. Thanks. Because of my success in the private sector, I had the chance to run America's largest city for 12 years. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. And that's just, that's just not true. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey, welcome to Grubstakers. Uh, I'm Sean McCarthy here with my friends as always. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Yogi Bollywell. And, uh, you know, this week we're doing a special episode because uh, the people power came together and uh, they passed a bill in the Senate. And, uh, you know, it's like when, when the very day that students around the nation walked out of their classrooms, it was so inspiring. And all these protests, uh, this was on Wednesday, uh, March 14th. All these protests demanding action on gun control. And, and just the very same day, Congress listened. And I'm just so tired of people saying that, you know, these institutions that we have are not responsive to demands for change from the people. Because on that very same day, Congress passed a bill to roll back Dodd-Frank, the financial crisis um, reform legislation passed in 2010. And, you know, it's just been so frustrating for us activists trying to get Dodd-Frank repealed as we have been for the decades since it passed. We have been emailing our Congress people, telling them that the Volcker Rule discriminates against, um, you know, uh, uh, financial institutions. That's right, that's right. Um, we've been walking that, up, not out. We've been doing everything. We've been saying that these, these data requirements, that, that they have to, to keep track of uh, uh, racial characteristics of the people they're loaning to to make sure that they don't... Uh, engage in illegal racial discrimination. We've been saying that this is onerous, it's burdensome, you can talk to coal miners in West Virginia, you can talk to the, the person who's lost their manufacturing job in Ohio, all of them will tell you the same thing. We need to roll back Dodd-Frank because it is strangling growth and job creation in this country. And finally... The, the Congress has resisted the pressure from uh, big financial reform from, uh, uh, you know, the, the Roosevelt Institute or whatever, and they have passed um, this, this bill, uh, passed the Senate, uh, as the, the same day those uh, students did a walkout. And, uh, you know, um, Dodd-Frank is, is really boring, and uh, it's not a particularly sexy topic, but we do actually have, uh, I would say, a somewhat expert here. Stephen uh, knows a lot about it. So uh, I do want to talk about it today because it's incredibly important, you know. And again, like, so Dodd-Frank itself, um, it's a thousand pages plus long. And then this uh, bill that just passed, it's Senate Bill 2155, called the Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act. Because, you know, Congress generally names things for the opposite of what they actually <laughs> do. Um, that bill is 196 pages long. That's um, it? That's nothing. It, 196? Yeah. We could do that in, like, what? It's a novella. Yeah, we could knock that out in, I don't know, a couple of Game of Thrones books? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pops a matter That's off. like one Jamie chapter. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, 
I guess, like, unsurprisingly, we, we haven't read the entire bill, so, you know, we're not qualified to talk about it, because you have to read the entire thing before you, you can yeah. talk well, about it's, it. Well, it's a good piece of bipartisanship. Right. I will, I will say this about Barney Frank. Uh, in late 2015, Barney Frank went on the Brian Lehrer show, and several people called in and said, listen, Bernie Sanders... <laughs> I do not agree with your policies. And he replied, I, I'm not Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Anyways, Yogi and I know nothing about Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be playing the role of Robert from Radiolab mm-hmm. uh, during the intro. But we're going to do it for the whole episode and be like, oh, that's interesting. You don't I- say. Right. Well, that's good, though, because you and Yogi can play the audience. And Stephen and I will be like the wise oh, what's teachers <laughs> who are, um, you know. You ma- say wise. Explain that some more for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so basically. You say you survived a genocide attempt, but I think you're lying. Now, Dodd-Frank, oh, best three episode Radio Lab. Too many Ds? I think so. But all right, well, so let's just kind of talk from the beginning here, because there was this financial crisis um, 10 years ago. Uh, and in fact, I think today we're recording on the 18th, which is the 10-year anniversary. It, it's 10 years to the day since Bear Stearns was um, acquired by J.P. Morgan. With uh, the government guaranteeing. Yeah, with, yeah, basically. Yeah. So 10 years uh, from the day that, you know, really the first, uh, let's say, ripple of the financial crisis... That, as we've mentioned, threw millions of people out of jobs, millions of people were thrown out of their homes, these kinds of things. And Dodd-Frank was passed in 2010, and the basic idea, it's, uh, as we mentioned, more than a thousand pages. A great job? I am. (laughs) Okay, Peter writes, should I be worried about Bear Stearns in terms of liquidity and get my money out of there? No, no, no. (laughs) Bear Stearns is fine. Do not take your money out. This is really, if there's one takeaway other than a plus 400 something... Stearns is not in trouble. I mean, if anything, they're more likely to be taken over. Don't move your money from Bear. That's just being silly. You don't don't say. be silly. Bear money's back after the break. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> I love a guy with a show called Mad Money where he like plays sound effects, says people are being silly to try and move their money out of like a heavy, heavily leveraged firm that's about to collapse. Do you know how long before the collapse he actually said that? Um, this was, like I think it was a few months. It might have even been a few weeks. Um, great job. It's <laughs> <laughs> the drop right there. The guy is still uh, on TV. <laughs> this yeah. was six days before it was bought by J.P. Morgan. Christ. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Jim Crater's... Uh, <laughs> Don't be silly. The beginning of his slide into insanity. Yeah. Still has a job, has faced no punishment. I think that's really the theme of the financial crisis. Oh, yeah. It's just no punishment. I don't know what they have to do to get fired, because it is yeah. one of those things where they can go... Good financial far. advice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, feel, I feel like... Advocate socializing the means of production. <laughs> Dodd-Frank, I kind of feel like it's sort of the Obamacare. Of like it's, sure. it's not what anyone really wanted, but it's something... Better than what came before. It's certainly better than what came before. Yeah. And so you have this, like, the sort of the minimal, politically palatable regulation for certain aspects of the, fire, the finance industry and real estate sector. So yeah. what is 
Dodd-Frank. Well, it's named for uh, Barney Frank, as we've mentioned, was the congressman from Massachusetts, and um, Chris Dodd was a senator for, for Connecticut, and they are the two people, the two main writers of the legislation. Um, but yeah, but what is it actually? Shut up, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as Chris mentioned, it's a, or as Stephen mentioned, it's a, an overly complicated kind of uh, workaround where it has something called the Volcker Rule, which um, Volcker. Is, that's interesting. <laughs> Um, So after the Great Depression, they put Glass-Steagall in place, which was a law that separated – it essentially said you couldn't make risky financial um, investments with federally insured depositor money. Uh, After the the Great Depression, we established that the FDIC will guarantee bank deposits up to $250,000. And so Glass-Steagall – Uh, said that these bank deposits cannot be used for risky um, uh, investments. And then that was repealed in the 90s. And then the Volcker Rule was part of Dodd-Frank, which was sort of a more roundabout, complicated way of doing that, um, that I guess Stephen might want to explain a little more. Explain? Uh, The Volcker Rule. If you could, just like, the difference between the Volcker Rule and Glass-Steagall. Yeah, like, Glass-Steagall was more of kind of, they're making almost like a Chinese wall between the investment activities of a financial institution that is, like, has... Is that like a Chinese fire drill where it just doesn't (laughs) work, or... (laughs) Why is it going to be Chinese? They're defining... They're (laughs) They're defining... Like the saying, this is where the commercial activities like mortgage lending, business loans and stuff like that will take place. And Mm -hmm. this is where the more speculative proprietary trading will take place. Mm -hmm. And never the two should mix. And but the and then Volcker rule is more of like it's a very specific set of um, check downs on like a transaction. Like, is there any way that um, this commercial activity could be construed as using um, using sort of the, the FDIC-backed portion of a, of a depository institution's um, business to underwrite a more risky proprietary trade. So FDIC-backed means when they're about to go out of business, the government insures it. <laughs> the, F, like the FDIC... Um, insured deposits up to $250,000 today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll talk a bit about how uh, rich people kind of game that. Um, but basically the idea is uh, there's a moral hazard is uh, the term, I think, where basically if you're using money that's guaranteed that you will get this back from the federal government even if you go bankrupt you have an incentive to make as risky an investment as possible because even if it goes bust you get your money back but if it doesn't go bust you make as much return as possible on your capital yeah but saying using there's like a there's kind of a difficulty in explaining the volcker rule and glass steagall if you if you sort of say that like oh well they can't use the the deposit money from the commercial side mm-hmm. to in order to make these bets like like the bank lending um those deposits are created in the act of making a loan loans create deposits so right. there's like that it's a bit of a difficulty explaining to the public exactly how it's a moral hazard like right. uh, if you have a i think the better way to characterize it is that you have these large financial financial institutions that we all depend upon to have be a safe um 
like a safe haven for our funds and to be able to safely and securely transfer funds between accounts. And that's a sort of a public utility that should be protected. And at the same time, those same institutions want to be able to make more risky bets that although they don't literally operationally require using people's deposits and indeed can't, they're still connected to the same capital requirements. Right. And so banks are very much capital constrained in that they have to have a portion of their balance sheet set aside in order to take potential losses if any of these deals go bad. Dodd-Frank, Volcker rule, Glass-Steagall? But what does this have to do with me? <laughs> it's like, and that's the what really frustrates me about this financial reform and Obviously, the uh, Democrats in particular who are backing this are banking on this. Uh, <laughs> um, nice. It's very... I don't get it. <laughs> it's complicated, and it's boring, and it's hard to explain. And, uh, you know, when you have a thousand-page piece of legislation and then a 200-page fix to it, that's all written in a way to be hard to comprehend. I think the long and short, and we'll explain a little bit more about the details of this, but the long and short is capital requirements, which is that uh, financial institutions are required by law to keep X amount of cash on hand to ensure that if there's a run on the bank or they go bankrupt, they are, or you know a bunch of people try to take their money out, uh, that they have cash on hand to match those. But what happens is that they always want to reduce these uh, capital requirements, and they find fancy legislative ways of reducing these capital requirements yeah. because the lower capital they have to keep on hand, the more they can lend out and the more returns they can generate and the higher they can push their stock price, but the more systemic risk is created for the financial institution or for the financial system. And, of course, this Dodd-Frank uh, uh, water down, whatever you want to call it, does loosen capital requirements in all sorts of horrific ways. Uh, and I would say that would be the long and short. And it's just like, you know, they're banking on the fact that, you know, the four of us, I mean, like Steven's an expert and I'm like a guy with too much time on my hands. Uh, and then Yogi and Andy are just, you know. General plebeians. Exactly. Between us, we... Uh, Full of chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard enough for us to understand and explain it, you know. And so, of course, like the general public... Um, the line that the Democrats have been using is, uh, you know, community banks. This will benefit community banks. And and, and so it's hard. Is that like credit unions and stuff? Right, right. Yeah. So, um, like, and, and I guess let's just talk about this a little bit. So, basically, Dodd-Frank sets up uh, the idea that um, once you have more than $50 billion in assets, you are considered systemically important. And then from there, you have different regulatory requirements um, systemic, according to Politico, systemically important banks must undergo uh, mandatory Fed stress tests, which uh, you know count their abil- uh, try to check their ability to respond if there's a run on the bank and a bunch of people try. That's to take- where that's where they put the CEOs. They get a list of their fears, <laughs> and then just run them through a battery of like really degrading, just like the it's a combination worst. of four times boss. a year. So it happens once a quarter. They put them in a room. Joe There's Rogan makes Jamie Dimon <laughs> sit on a bed of worms. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Dimon, how can you face your it. fear? They actually film it all, and it's available upon request. And Jamie Dimon tells him, he's like, oh, man, that's that's far out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what Volker do you think about, bro? At, at, like, the banks, do they, like, keep aliens there? Like, tell me the truth, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I got some pot. I, now I'm just thinking about, like, 
Joe Rogan like putting uh, Jamie Dimon in his suspension tank and like taking DMT with him. <laughs> He's like, yeah, man. He told me what happened to that Federal Reserve gold. <laughs> uh, the the stri- Fort Knox gold. <laughs> you know they replaced it all with Bitcoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> the stress tests, they put them through stress tests, which are actually um, like they're very adverse financial scenarios for the bank that make sure that they do in fact they could in fact facilitate all of their payments if people did try to you know have an old-fashioned bank run to another institution or something and the if they could maintain their capital ratio in the downturn right yeah and there's also what they call they do a living will right i was gonna like say if the bank the if the bank uh does fail how exactly should its assets be unwound as to not um, create create as a little turmoil for consumers, right? So uh, basically, Do they, the, does it also have like a pillow provision that you just hold over until it stops ticking? <laughs> yeah, there's there a do not resuscitate provision. Yeah. yeah, oh, there's assisted suicide for uh, banks. <laughs> Actually, they passed in a couple states. Only banks in Oregon can yeah. use that. By the way, who gets suffocated by a pillow? You can breathe through a pillow. Sorry, tangent. You want to test that out? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Live on the podcast. Do it during the break. (laughs) 1,000 a month in Patreon, and we will find out if we can suffocate Andy with a pillow. There should be. There should be uh, an assisted bank suicide provision. See, I'll bet like Steven and me together, if we both held the pillow, we could probably get Andy. Oh, I was going to sit on the pillow. Yeah, I think Yogi Yogi could definitely kill Andy with a pillow. I I mean, if you push hard enough, but it's just your hand over someone's mouth. It's not... No, it's the pillow, but your hand holds the pillow. (laughs) Also, the key component is you're asleep. Like, you can't, you know, you wake up, you know, with most of the fight out of you. We'll just wait till like a day where Andy's like hung over like he was last week. <laughs> Why wait? <laughs> just resting my eyes. Uh, but so anyways, uh, these uh, provisions like stress tests and living wills, these apply to currently to every bank with uh, or financial institution with more than 50 billion in assets. This uh, repeal that was just passed by the Senate w- uh, raises that immediately to 100 billion. And then in 18 months, it raises it to 250 billion. Um, and just for reference, Countrywide Financial, uh, which according to Elizabeth Warren was um, an originating one out of every five mortgages in the country in the lead up to uh, the 2008 financial crisis, mm-hmm. Countrywide Financial had assets of 200 billion when it went bust, and then in 2007, and then yeah, so Countrywide my... Financial destroyed the financial system. <laughs> we'll so go bust with 200 billion. Essentially, it... 250 billion is no. It's it's not a mathematical number. It's just a lobbying number. Because this is what the medium-sized stadium banks want it to be at, so that's what it's going to be at now. Yeah, and you take it; it really takes just like four or five, or or, or fewer of these two hundred fifty billion asset banks to really fuck with the entire economy. Mm-hmm. If they were to go back, to of them. course, yeah. So who's who's making these laws and then getting their pockets lined by banks' money out of all this shit? It's mainly the stadium banks, like the medium-sized ones, um, though actually, well, so we'll talk a little bit about, like, there's some interesting provisions for banks with $10 billion or less in assets in this, um, that they will, 
sort of they'll benefit from in the sense that it will allow them to not have to collect data on mortgage discrimination like racial discrimination and these kinds of things and it will allow them to originate um much riskier loans well well, well, Uh, banks can't be racist they're not supposed to be there's laws against it (laughs) but um part of dodd frank is that banks are required by law to collect data on like racial ethnic uh, backgrounds there these kinds yeah. of things which um they are under dodd frank required which they were not doing before <laughs> <laughs> they were but it was sort of the inverse of that right internal they use data it to make to right. make certain products available to certain groups of people right wells fargo in the lead up to the 2008 financial crisis was of course targeting black churches and black um yeah. community and groups ba- like bank of america uh, settled uh, i think Several hundred million for a red, what do they call a redlining case? Right. Where certain, like a neighborhood with predominantly black or Latino customers were only, sorry, were only marketed certain types of loan products or were just excluded. The Latinos were marketed the extra zesty interest rates. (laughs) (laughs) The muy caliente. Adjustable rate mortgage. Rapido APR. <laughs> Interest only loans. And yeah. So. Um, but yeah, so uh, there's that aspect of it. But the main beneficiaries are um, what has been dubbed stadium banks, where uh, there are, according to The Intercept, there are 18 banks that have stadiums named after them that will benefit hugely from this law. And stadium banks generally have valuations uh, between you know 100 and 250 billion, which is the new uh, high cap at which regulation sets. But in. not, uh, I mean, some stadiums are you know Bank of America. That's not right. Um, so yeah, Bank of America is over the 250 billion mark. But again, there's even stuff in there for these these bigger banks, which we'll talk about a bit. So but, when you mention stadiums, do you yes. only mean like? Because there's places that are like amphitheaters that are owned by banks as well. Do you mean those as well? Um, I think it was just sports stadiums. I have the Intercept article here, which like uh, Citizens Bank is where the Philadelphia Phillies are. Comerica is where the Detroit Tigers are. M&T Bank is where the Baltimore Ravens are. M&T Bank. Yeah. (laughs) Baltimore Ravens. SunTrust is a huge beneficiary of this bill, and that's where the Atlanta Braves play. Um, and, you right, know, so no, no playoff threats for the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, before we really get into this, I do want to talk a bit about kind of the pushback against um, against what we're saying now, where it's like there has been some activist pushback against this bill, as there rightly should be, but there's also been uh, the 16 Democrats and one independent from Maine uh, voted for this bill, and they've kind of pushed back, saying, like, no, we're, n- we're not gutting Dodd-Frank. In fact, one of them, um, Mr. Uh, Michael Bennett, uh, the Democratic senator from Colorado, in fact, wrote an editorial for the Washington Post saying, no, titled, no, Congress isn't gutting Dodd-Frank. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, good. good. Yes. And, uh, you know, just a interesting thing not noted in the article, but it is noted by, uh, according to Splinter News, uh, Michael Bennett has received more than $1.9 million donated directly to his campaign in the last five years from the financial sector, and that's not including his super PACs and, and these kinds of things. Um, so, I'm sure the super PACs are negligible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just, uh, just a couple quotes from that Washington Post about how Congress is not gutting Dodd-Frank. Um, 
Uh, he says, quote, as the industry consolidates and community banks shutter, it has become harder for small businesses and individuals with good but not perfect credit to receive loans. And why I wanted to highlight that quote is everyone that I've read says that this bill will actually further industry consolidation because what's going to happen is now these 50 to $250 billion banks are not sub- subject to these kinds of regulatory standards, and they can start gobbling up other smaller banks. So if anything, like this consolidation problem that he's warning uh, about, which there has been, which is why, you know, I think it was John Tester took like a a graphic on the Senate where he was like, since Dodd-Frank, you know, X number of small community banks have like closed or been consolidated. But that's just like... Yeah, that M&A activity started before... Before the crisis, even right, and was greatly exacerbated by when other when a lot of small banks failed. Yeah, because like the, the total number of depository institutions decreased by several thousand banks right. in the U.S. And that because was a crisis. That was part of our crisis response, where we got like you know J.P. Morgan and these other J.P. Morgan buys up Washington Mutual and this kind of stuff, where we were pushing consolidation as a way to 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 stop these risks. And absolutely, this bill, in my opinion and of many experts will make the consolidation problem worse because, you know, now these stadium banks, these 50 to 250 billion will be like, oh, let's go snatch up the small guys because, you know, if it adds, say, 5 billion to our assets, that's no fucking big deal because it's not going to push us over this new regulatory threshold. So that Crisis? was bullshit. Consolidation? <laughs> and I thought my Wi-Fi being turned off was the biggest problem in the country. Uh... But uh, just one other thing from this uh, uh, Washington Post editorial called, No, Congress isn't gutting (laughs) (laughs) Dodd-Frank. No. (laughs) It's like a Vox article. (laughs) Uh, Actually. Explaining why Congress isn't gutting (laughs) Dodd-Frank. No, circumcision isn't a conspiracy to make you enjoy sex less. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so anyways uh, He said Circumcised Everyone here circumcised What are uh, are y'all rocking Not circumcised Yeah I got a cut You got a cut You got a cut What are you doing No cut Nope Wow the uncircumcised Are uh, a maximum Population Super majority Yeah super majority That's right (laughs) Oh you're not cut Yogi Uncircumcised to the bone Wow I was gonna say If it was 2-2 We could say the uncircumcised people Inherently understand Dodd-Frank better (laughs) (laughs) It turns out there are actually uh, re- neurological receptors in the foreskin <laughs> that give you the ability to comprehend financial legislation. <laughs> um, oh, but so anyways, uh, just kind of a fun thing from this editorial. Whatever the repercussions of this, though, just know that I, I can't really feel them. <laughs> I'm much less sensitive to these things. We haven't Uh, So he goes, as we move forward, Democrats should consider two questions. One, are we going to fight for regulations that don't accomplish their stated purpose? Two, are we going to let political hyperbole keep us from addressing the legitimate concerns of small businesses, community banks, and millions of creditworthy Americans? Uh, Yes, this will be known 50 years from now as the famous cross of Bitcoin speech. (laughs) (laughs) Um but yeah, you know, millions of creditworthy Americans who have been demanding <laughs> that uh, you know SunTrust and State Street get regulatory relief, <laughs> and that uh, Warren Buffett be able to throw more mobile homes owners out on the street. <laughs> um, 
But he goes, uh, he goes on, on issue after... Tell me what deregulation looks like. This is what deregulation looks like. <laughs> the people united can never be regulated. <laughs> I, you know what? I was thinking of another word to do instead of regulated, but you start, you just can't finish. Uh, you start, and you just can't finish uh, the Sean McCarthy story. Sounds <laughs> uh, like you're stuck in a liquidity trap. Um, He goes, uh, he continues, on issue after issue, voices on the left and right routinely decry modest concessions as a betrayal of principle. More often than not, that principle turns out to be little more than a tactic to garner media attention by casting small differences on policy as cataclysmic. Until this changes, we will struggle to make progress as both parties retreat to their corners instead of doing the unglamorous vital work of governing. And you can su- you can substitute the word governing with creating another financial crisis. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could say one could just as easily say it's because of a lack of governance that we've gotten into this position. But it is funny. Like the other thing about this bill is like the, some of the Democrats who push it say it's like bipartisan, and it's like, yeah. why is that an attribute? Like if both parties are like, yeah, we want it to, uh, you right. know. Help Warren Buffett fuck you out of your trailer like, home when we both agree that we like him more than you, <laughs> you poor piece of shit. I mean, I basically take so Chom- we cross the aisle to hate you. I take Chomsky's position that like whenever you can, whenever big business and government unanimously support some idea across the aisle, warning bells should be going off like immediately. Right for this, I just like the idea that they're like people in my district and people in your district both chose to vote for someone who was going to screw them over. And we have <laughs> the to, responsibility yeah. to screw over our constituents. Yeah. Because if we're not going to screw them over, who will? Yeah. If they both voted for someone who was going to screw them over and those people did not do their job of screwing them over, that's that's just a dysfunctional Washington. Hey, just because they voted school bullies into office doesn't mean we got to stop bullying them. <laughs> it is crazy that, like, you know, even on this level of uh, political corruption, it's like, how easy is it to pay off our government? Like, you know, with all the stuff about the election and, and politics in general, all this stuff is, like, layered in text and difficult language only because, you know, 90% of the population won't even open the fucking document, let alone understand it if you tell it to their face. Yeah, I think, like, people inherently understand that Wall Street is bad, you know? Like, they, it's obviously shrouded in a lot of complication, but that's why they couldn't do the big thing, is because they have to... I think Elizabeth Warren said they're using community banks as a shield for this, where it's yeah. like the only thing Democrats are talking about is these community banks. Well, community banks are actually pretty ta- well taken care of. Anything with less than $10 billion in assets is not subject to these Dodd-Frank regulations, really. Um, if you look at their net income for small banks under fifty billion, yeah, they've only. Imp- I mean, they're doing fine basically. They've improved their profitability for most of the years since the crisis. Right. So, uh, so let's talk about what capital requirements mean. Uh, basically, a capital requirement is saying that a bank that is over a certain size needs to have a certain amount of money uh, on hand, so that yeah, they need to retain a certain percentage of their earnings and just set that away as like the part of their balance sheet that would absorb any losses by the from way, their loans that if, go bad. And the idea is that yeah, if their if their investments go bad, 
this will take a hit and it will be fine. Yeah, the bank will survive. Yeah. By the way, if you're still listening right now, thank you. <laughs> we <laughs> we pro- we're we're going to have some zingers at the end. <laughs> yeah. What we should promise. we talk? We should talk about like Andy's sex life at the end or something. <laughs> the big. <laughs> Stay tuned. This is our tease to like force people to listen to this financial deregulation thing. But yeah, like according to the Intercept, uh, uh, the FDIC reported that as of the third quarter of 2017. Uh, 96% of the nation's uh, uh, 5,200 community banks were profitable. So 96% of these community banks are profitable, and yet this deregulation... Yeah, we're supposed to worry about them. Right, exactly. Day and night, if you're the Democrats. But so I did want to talk about one other fun little media reaction before we get into, you know, the the meat of this legislation. The real good stuff. What you at home are listening for (laughs) to get into, like, the Volcker rule and what capital requirements are. You've waited 30 minutes, but we're finally getting into it. They're salivating at the bit. That's right. Volcker rule? I thought that was about a bird. (laughs) (laughs) Glass-Steagall? Is that some sort of glass-Jewish maker? Glass Steagall is actually a proposal by the John Birch Society to nuke the city of Steagall. <laughs> um, okay, so there was a political magazine article which kind of follows the theme, same theme of the Washington Post editorial we just talked about. And the political article was called Behind the Dodd Frank Freakout. And uh, it just so happens that Politico on this behind the Dodd Frank freakout article has a picture of Miss Elizabeth Warren looking a little hysterical, and I hate to use <laughs> women <laughs> exactly. Like I hate to use the eye po- eye poll thing, but it's pretty clear that Politico is gaslighting Elizabeth Warren <laughs> because, like, the entire eye poll. Yes, the entire theme of the article is like, look at this woman and like these crazy leftists freaking out about least, this. Uh, this all bill. these teens eating eye polls. <laughs> This bill that, like, wouldn't really change that much. And it's like, why is it such a big deal? And uh, the entire evidence of this political article is um, government officials who support the deregulation going on background (laughs) and making quotes. Because, of course, you know, you wouldn't want to associate your name with this bill you support. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, I did did listen to an interview with Mike Conscall, one of those, like, financial... Um, commentator he's like one one interesting thing is that a lot of the 2020 contenders are they basically all don't support the bill oh yeah well it's terrible and so i think that's important that's right. like an indicator of like where the public has they know wall street yeah. is is no good basically and well, they know nobody that, went to jail and yeah know. like more more of the the zeitgeist is we need to regulate and they had to work they actually had to work hard to convince people about this bill that would have just been a throwaway 10 years ago mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have had to invest like all this uh, political capital in saying like, well, actually the community banks are suffering and we're just helping them. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have, I don't think they would have had to have that big of a, a project basically to, yeah. to defend this bill. Zeitgeist. Is that like some kind of German time ghost? <laughs> <laughs> I think zeitgeist is a word that means thermite was used to blow up the twin towers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So outside of people getting uh, money for uh, fucking other people over, and the banks obviously want to do this to make more money, what is the anti-us slant on why this is good for the country? Well, actually, if I could just finish the Politico article. 
I just want to pu- pull. That's the first time that's been said. <laughs> <laughs> Zip it. Um, I need to finish this article. Um, but so uh, just like one, uh, a couple poll quotes that I found kind of humorous. So the, from the political article, uh, the narrative that this bill is a huge thing for Wall Street, so we're smoking victory cigars. That's just ridiculous, said one former government official who now sits on the board of a mega bank. Wow. And I'm just like. The complete lack of self-awareness <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, and he says the largest banks mostly think this is irrelevant. And I think he's actually lying there because there are some provisions for the largest banks. Um, I mean, they're not going to smoke victory cigars until they get their bail out and dump their assets right before the market crashes. I just love that, though. <laughs> One former government official who now sits on the board of a mega bank can't understand yeah. why people think the system is not working for them. <laughs> I mean, Dodd-Frank is 10 years old now. Or, yep. Well, it's okay. It's eight. Yeah, eight years old. It's Past eight 2010. Year, it's eight years old now. And it. I mean, I think the banking community is saying like, it's pretty much the same as what they started. This is going to be a long-term project. Oh. And so if these, you know, if we can only get most of the benefits to the 250 level, yeah. billion letter level, I mean, that's like a more effective, they're establishing a beachhead, I guess. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Because like, and the other thing is like the way deregulation works is you deregulate one sector and then that sector is suddenly more competitive than the other sectors. And the other sectors are like, well, you got to deregulate us too, because they have an unfair advantage, you know? But um, and then the other fun little quote that I like it sounds like capitalism works. <laughs> the other fun little quote from the Politico article is um, uh, this is an aide to a moderate Senate Democrat, and he's complaining. He says, "Are we really going to kill each other over a carve out in the supplemental leverage ratios for predominantly custodial banks? Right now, there are bigger threats in the world." And I like how he's kind of doing this thing where he's like making it like complicated supplemental leverage ratios. That doesn't matter. But of course, these carve outs for the supplemental leverage ratios will benefit banks like State Street, um, which we've ta- uh, which uh, has big surprise about two hundred and forty four billion dollars in assets as of uh, twenty fourteen or twenty sixteen. So I don't know how they got this uh, uh, two hundred and fifty number. But State Street has also, as of February of last year, pleaded guilty to a large-scale fraud. Three of their executives are still undergoing prosecution for fraud. And, uh, of course, they uh, set up that fearless girl statue on Wall Street and then ironically had to settle a sex discrimination lawsuit for $5 million. (laughs) So it's like... Yeah, these like extremely fraudulent institutions are the ones that we should be, uh, you know, deregulating. All I took from that Senate aides uh, quote was that there are special banks for janitors. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that, though. It's like, are we really going to kill each other over this like deliberately obscure and complex way we've thought up to directly aid like the most pernicious financial institutions in this country? Is this really worth our time? (laughs) (sighs) Are we gonna, yeah, they're gaslighting the American public. Um, all right. Well, so anyways, so uh, Yogi, you had a question, and I guess like that's kind of that's I think an overview of the press reaction and kind of the lobbyist and um, let's say complicit journalist pushback to this, where they're like, guys, don't freak out. You know, you're being crazy. They're kind. Of, they're trying the articles to get- that start with no, you actually shouldn't freak out about <laughs> this bill that was a. I did have a question. Which one of the major banks are in support of ass eating? Because that's the only thing that I need to know more about. I like the idea of there being like a Washington Post article like, no, that person in my phone really is Frank from work, honey. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) 
But uh, no, AIDS won't affect you if you're pure of heart. <laughs> well, that's good to know. No, no, honey, that's that's a pimple, not a blister on my penis. <laughs> we don't have to use a condom. <laughs> um, but so yeah, that's just kind of like an example of the pushback, where it's like they're relying on the fact that by and large the public doesn't know that much because it is very complicated deliberately uh, about how finance works, and they're saying, oh no, we're just tinkering with the small banks when in reality they're going up to 250 billion and then there's a lot of other stuff in there so I guess with the time we have left we'll, we'll try to talk about uh, what's actually in this bill a, a bit and then you know we'll get to like the juicy stuff what's the reward at the end what do people get if they listen to this episode if they listen all the way through we'll talk about Andy. a fun game <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well, yeah we do have a fun game yeah. we, have, we have a fun game at the end that's our teaser yeah. all right so um, if they make it through this episode they will want to play a game with us <laughs> uh, I want to cut in the, the saw audio yeah. Do you want to play a game? Yeah. I want to play a little game It's where we deregulate mid- <laughs> mid-sized banks But it's just something where it's like I know it's boring, I know it's hard But you know what? We have a responsibility to use our hundreds of listeners To stop <laughs> this But I think it's also just like It's worth highlighting because like That was a real misuse of a plural <laughs> Our hundred of listeners. Our hundred listeners. Uh, it's worth highlighting because, you know what, my opinion, there's no point in having a, an opposition party if they're both Wall Street parties, you know? And when a third of the Democrats in the Senate cross the aisle to, to vote for this to fuck over consumers, and we'll get into more how they're doing that, like, there's no contrast anymore. It's like, it's expected that there's going to be at least one Wall Street party, but my opinion is you don't need Democrats who are also the Wall Street party, because people, even if they don't understand all of the complexities, they should understand when you bubble D, you're voting against Wall Street. When you bubble R, you're voting for Wall Street, and these people are just kind of crossing the aisle to have two Wall Street parties. But I think there is like there is a party sort of within the party that's kind of forming that says, well, actually, we really can't even abide supporting this bill because we have ambitions later that depend on depend upon you know party progressive inception. progressive people voting for us and and they're really undermining the party unity and need to be purged. It is kind of adorable that a uh, Cory Booker, uh, New Jersey senator, um, in, in Obama's campaign in 2012, he actually went on Meet the Press to complain about how Obama's ads uh, portrayed Mitt Romney and his leveraged buyout firm Bain Capital unfairly, <laughs> and how like nice people in the financial services sector were because they were giving him all this money Wait, at did, that point. Did Cory Booker vote? for this no no that's the thing is now he's like right so he's changed he's, his tune he's put well, a finger up yeah. in the wind and he's like oh no i want to run for president i can't be for this anymore he just got like a mid-century brooklyn accent <laughs> <laughs> i cory booker am tired of the millionaires and the billionaires <laughs> cory what happened <laughs> he's like he, like, gets, like, a hair transplant, so he has some, like, white hair on the side of his bald head. <laughs> he starts saying, like, look, I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm just saying males. the Dodgers have no place in L.A. <laughs> Corey, you don't even like baseball. It was a travesty. Um, all right, so I guess uh, to talk a bit more about what this bill itself actually does... Um, the Congressional Budget Office uh, estimates um, the budgetary effect of this bill is subject to considerable, considerable uncertainty 
and I'm quoting now, in part because it depends on the probability that in any year a systemically important financial institution will fail and there will be a financial crisis, or that there will be a financial crisis. Uh, CBO estimates that the probability is small under current law and would be slightly greater under the legislation. So the Congressional Budget Office says that this will increase the chance of a financial crisis. What the CBO can't, I mean, they can't really cover is like the systemic risk that people bring up like all those me- small to medium sized banks stand to lose the most potentially from the bill that these political assignees are saying like oh we're we're, we're protecting the small and little guys and yet that this very legislation like could harm them mm-hmm. and then if there's another financial crisis i mean last time around thousands of small and medium sized banks bit the dust oh yeah of course yeah. CBO, CBD, CB4, but what does R2D2. all this? C3PO. What does all of this have to do with me? The bill provides a regulatory relief for one of Chris Rock's most underrated movies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but so I guess like uh, I have some notes here just for like some highlights of what this bill will actually do. Down to earth. Um, uh, it, it it repeals the Volcker rule for. Um, uh, uh, banks with less than $10 billion in assets that make um, 500 or fewer loans per year. Head of state. Um, which, according to, which, according to Intercept, uh, 85% of all banks and credit unions qualify for this. So 85% of all banks and credit unions will be able to ignore the Volcker rule, and it also allows them to... Uh, uh, well, actually, just to get into the Volcker rule, I think, Stephen, you were talking about how now that these smaller banks will be able to avoid the Volcker rule, there's going to be a lot of Wall Street vultures and these kinds of things who will be flying out to these smaller banks being like, hey, you should engage yep. in risky lending practices. It's just like yep. the bachelor. Yep. I mean, they're just establishing a clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the parents episode. That's what's happening here. They fly to the small towns and convince them with roses and bribes of delusions grander. Yeah, the rose is the uh, downward red line on the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these small banks that probably wouldn't be doing a lot of prop trading were, are going to get courted by big Wall Street non-financial institution firms in order to make these, in order to buy these riskier products. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, it's just kind of the nature of regulation. As soon as you regulate one thing, uh, they'll be constantly looking for workarounds. So, of course, now they're going to try and go to these smaller banks and, and sell them on this nonsense. I can just imagine, like, just this, like, older guy with a couple of Wall Street guys come into his office trying to, like, talk him into, like, kind of selling over. And he's like, listen, when I open this up, I just wanted to start a nice community bank run by a family. And the Wall Street guy puts a briefcase on the desk, opens it up, and it's full of cocaine. That's right. A month later, the older guy is like, we got to move Got to move Yeah, Bitcoin. Put on Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically... The wolf of Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the idea of the Wall Street guy pitching him and being like, well, you know, that all sounds nice, but... And then he motions his hand and, like, three Lamborghinis roll up. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? Let's start engaging in predatory lending practices. Yo, let's embezzle the plaintiff. <laughs> um, but so it's going to repeal the Volcker rule for these smaller community banks. This is the relief that they're getting, you know, when 96% of them are profitable. And it's also going to essentially... Um, 
I don't want to say legalize discrimination, but legalize it. <laughs> it turns out, it turns out that the it this whole time was discriminatory lending practices. <laughs> That's what people were marching for. They're like, we want Wait. credit unions and small institutions to be able to charge like? higher interest rates to Latinos and Black families. What do we want? Discrimination. When do we want it? Tomorrow. <laughs> Just like another fun fact, uh, in the lead up to the financial crisis, uh, in addition to targeting these black churches and community groups, um, some Wells, uh, some Wells Fargo uh, people also refer to them as "quote mud people." Oh wow, so, really? You know, mud uh, people. And it's you know like, how degrading that is. That's that's past race. That's past gender. That's literally what's the worst part of life? Mud, mud. I think mud's the worst. These people are mud people. Ugh. I guess it is like slightly above shit, so maybe they're say, like you're not a mud man. Not a mud because shit. What about mud wrestling? Shit is fertilizer. Maybe they meant it as a good thing. Uh-huh. Shit is like at least you can grow shit out of it. Mud is literally just a nuisance. Uh, you can he's, bake he's, it up and make a house out of it. Yeah. One of the Wells Fargo people is being like subpoenaed can, or something. How am I being fought against on mud being bad? <laughs> What if, but what if that was his response, like the Wells Fargo banker, he's being grilled about this, and he's like, look, I meant like bikini mud wrestling. <laughs> They're like a universally good thing that we all like. <laughs> but, oh, so, so anyways. Um, uh, By cor- mud people, I meant objects of my desire. <laughs> Living in uh, a ditch with minutes. a lot of mud, dream life. But so uh, David Dayen uh, wrote this wonderful article for The Intercept that breaks down a lot of this stuff and was uh, probably my primary source for uh, this episode. But so he talks about how um, essentially uh, banks uh, already collect these uh, racial data um, in lending practices for their own uh, files. Um, But the problem is basically uh, this bill makes it so they do not have to make that data public or share it with regulators anymore. And that makes it much more difficult to uh, litigate against racial discrimination when all this data... When you don't have the data set available to the regulators to see if they're engaging these practices. You can't show through the data that discriminatory lending is occurring. So essentially, this is just legalizing discrimination by small banks. Long and short, I would say. Legalize it! (laughs) Um, uh, So I guess... uh, the other things to talk about are the stadium banks. I think we mentioned very quickly, uh, according to The Intercept, 18 stadiums around the world are named after one of the banks that gets significant help from the bill. Um, we mentioned it's Section 401 that raises the uh, assets under which you get the enhanced regulation to $100 billion immediately, $250 billion 18 months from now. Um, they can no longer waterboard bank CEOs. <laughs> enhanced regulation techniques. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's just a Travis. I mean, I, I don't want to live in a country where we can't. So that should be what happens next time there's a tarp thing. Is that like everyone who has paid taxes that are then being used to bail out a bank just gets to get in line and waterboard a bank CEO <laughs> one by one. Well, t- I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but tarp referred to an actual tarp that they put over their head <laughs> and water it down. You know, my theory when uh, when the tax bill passed was it's like it should be legal, this the, the tax bill for the rich people, but it should also have a provision that every billionaire has to have sex whenever they have sex on webcam and people can just like call in and make fun of them while they do it and they have to listen to it yeah and they are they're public employees they're on the public side of banks and, you know, that's yeah part of it. yeah 
Um, so according to The Intercept, uh, this bill would relieve 25 of the 38 largest U.S. banks from enhanced regulation. So, you know, when they talk about community banks, we're talking about 25 of the 38 largest in the country. And uh, we mentioned Countrywide had $200 billion in assets when it failed. Uh, Intercept also points out National City was a $145 billion bank that collapsed leading up to the uh, financial crisis. Uh, the financing arm of General Motors, GMAC, had $210 billion in assets. It received $17 billion in bailout money. So it's just like this $250 billion standard is just a way of covering all of these uh, banks that are very influential to uh, local senators like uh, John Tester in Montana and, you know, these kind of regional banks that are very powerful and uh, have a lot of influence and can give money in re-election campaigns. And uh, just one other thing about this is uh, essentially these enhanced standards, the bill does have language that says the Federal Reserve can reapply the enhanced standards. So that's something in it that defenders point to and they're like, well, the feds can still, you know, reapply these standards. But, you know, we can't really expect uh, the federal board yeah. that Trump is appointing to really enforce these standards. And um, Jerome Powell is kind of a, not really a big regulator guy, the new Federal Reserve chairman. Yeah, not a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, another thing is um, the foreign banks. So basically, every bank, every foreign bank in the country, which includes Deutsche Bank, which is um, President Trump's personal bank, which made him significant loans. What country are they in? <laughs> Germany. Um, but so they, uh, every foreign bank that operates in the U.S. except for HSBC would also be exempted under these one hundred to two hundred fifty billion dollar rules. So Deutsche Bank gets exempted. Uh, Barclays, which is another stadium bank, the of course the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, play in their stadium um uh so yeah like all these significant financial institutions get kind of exempted uh from this so it's it's just so ridiculous to me to say that this is focused on community banks and uh we i mean even the largest the largest sort of segment of the the banking market like the the trillion dollar banks like bank of america and city they still benefit well certainly indirectly from these regulations that it sort of cements their position within the market as a system like for real systemically important banks if you if they have lobbyists going out to to lobby congress for these changes that like they would argue don't even really affect them and it's just to be to make it more competitive or more fair i would say that it only strengthens their position as like uh, the likelihood of a bailout mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren talks about that. It increases the likelihood that there will be a bailout for the biggest banks. Right. And, and I would um, – so – and I guess like the other thing to cover uh, before we get to the fun game is how this benefits the big banks and also Mr. Warren Buffett, which is a tease for next week because we'll be talking about Buffett. Ooh. But, um, but so uh, according to The Intercept again, the same article, uh, Section 401 of this bill changes the frequency of stress tests for big banks from semi-annual to, quote, periodic. There's no definition of periodic. Um, so it's like it could be less than twice a year, which is what the current law says, or it could even be once every three years. That, might, is- that might not seem very serious to sort of the average person when they hear it. But, yeah. I mean, considering the onset of the last financial crisis, like one month, so much can happen. Oh, yeah. And so if they make it periodic and then they have people enforcing these, the, when these stretch tests are done that might not be very amenable or more conservative and mm-hmm. don't, don't have an eye towards regulation, that could make all the difference. 
Right. So essentially, like we're uh, we're much we're letting the Federal Reserve take the eye off the ball, which is just a weird thing to do. But um, and the other part of that that's kind of that's I think the one of the most significant is the Federal Reserve uh, does operate a regulatory capacity over um, banks in, at the national level. Um, so there's language in this um, legislation that changes it. Um, essentially, it changes the word uh, that the Federal Reserve can tailor um, uh, their regulatory approach from bank to bank. And the current language says the Federal Reserve may do this. The new legislation says the Federal Reserve shall do this. They shall tailor their reg- their regulatory approach from each bank. And what this does for like a good lawyer, the word shall, it gives you a big opening in the legal sense that now, you know, the best paid lawyers in the world work for all these banks. Suddenly they can start suing, you know, the Federal Reserve for saying, oh, you're not tailoring your regulation to our specific bank. You're not doing a good enough cost-benefit analysis. It, the legislation opens up huge legal avenues where maybe the incentive for the Federal Reserve suddenly becomes, let's not, you know, let's just go with what the industry wants because otherwise we're going to get tied up in litigation. And the other part is like, as Stephen mentioned, a crisis can happen, you know, in a month. It, it unfolds very fast. So, you know, maybe they're trying to respond to a crisis and suddenly there's a law that says, Oh, the banks have the ability to stymie it by saying you are not tailoring your regulation to our specific circumstances. So it opens up a big legal avenue for uh, these financial corps. Um, yeah, legalize it. We're we're at an hour. All right. Well, uh, let's just finish up here real quick. Um, and then I guess like one other thing, uh, just about the bank legislation itself uh section 403 lights Citigroup and other big banks count municipal bonds as quote highly liquid assets towards their leverage ratio so we were talking about you know how this reduces the capital requirements uh municipal bonds like city and local bonds counties and these kinds of things are very much not highly liquid in that they can't really be sold and traded easily and some cities are extremely in debt and not in good financial condition so it's like a municipal bond is not a cash asset but by allowing a city and jp morgan and others the biggest banks to count these municipal bonds as cash on hand is going to allow them to increase their leverage and increase their profits and also increase risk to the system. Bond. Municipal bond. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I guess, like, uh, the the main thing I want to highlight from this is just, like, the Democrats who voted for this and, uh, you know, how in the pocket of... Wall Street and uh, these mid to big size financial firms they are and uh, I think the party doesn't really need this yeah I mean the the Democrats have I think there's a poll I saw they had a double digit lead overall for 2018 elections yeah and this totally it's like works at cross purposes to that I -hmm. think they will pay a political price yeah so like um and uh, just to tie it into next week, we're doing Mr. Warren Buffett. So the Warren Buffett like owns a surprising amount of things, and one of those things that he owns uh, is, <laughs> I believe it's called Clayton Homes, which uh, he owns Clayton. Yeah, so he owns both Clayton Homes and Vanderbilt Mortgage through uh, Berkshire Hathaway, and. Uh, Clayton controls 49% of the manufactured home market. 
So he controls almost half of the uh, mobile home market. And weirdly enough, this bill is essentially going to make it easier uh, yep. for uh, foreclosure and discriminatory lending. I think um, yeah, it allows him to vertically integrate the lending process for those homes. Mm-hmm. That, well, the, what the bill would do is uh, eliminate a requirement that the the seller of these homes not steer people towards specific lending options. Mm-hmm. And so now they can do that. Um, they would have an incentive to, I mean, if you're Clayton Homes, to steer them towards um, community lenders that are owned by, in part, by Berkshire. Wow, so it's not a bait and switch, but it is a go down this fork over that that fork, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, if you're, most people wouldn't think twice about the a seller their home saying like hey you should check out this lender they have this and this deal right 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 and you don't have to disclose that you have a relationship or you get no, a financial don't kickback back anymore it, yeah yep. huh. um and also just a fun fact about uh clayton homes as owned by warren buffett according to the intercept in 2016 clayton homes foreclosed on one in every 40 properties which is over three times the national average um, and I can just imagine those people having all their belongings thrown out in the street and thinking, well, at least the friendly grandpa billionaire did this to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, God, there's and there, there's just so much crap in this bill. And I know we're running out of time, but I do want to talk about just a couple more things before we finish here. Um, there's something called broker deposits. So we mentioned the, uh, and I know that people are like tuning out because they're like, we want the game. We want to get to the game. We've listened to so much boring financial fucking regulation crap. We are excited for the game, but just give me three more minutes, people. All right, so there's something called broker deposits. So the uh, FDIC insures all um, <clears throat> all bank deposits up to $250,000. How rich people get around this is they put $250,000 in a bunch of different bank accounts. You know, if you have a million, you have four bank accounts, each with $250,000 in it. And there are what are called broker deposits, which are financial institutions like uh, Promontory, uh, interestingly, uh, I believe, managed by a former Clinton uh, budgetary official, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, but so Promontory is one of these services that says, okay, you can have one account with us, and we will open... Uh, bank accounts up to 250000 with all these other institutions. Um, So in response to this, the FDIC mandated, according to The Intercept, that banks taking broker deposits need to limit their take and hold more capital reserve requirements against them because this is gaming the system, you know. Um, But Section 202 of this new bill, written by Democrat hero uh, Mark Warner of Virginia, uh, essentially strips capital requirements and limitations on broker deposits. Uh, according to the intercept so you know we're gonna get rid of uh this kind of regulation of people just horrifically gaming the system as well and just all that in the name of community banking release relief when we found sean he was yelling this on a street corner (laughs) and we thought we might as well bring him in and put him on mic (laughs) that's true though i just feel like i'm screaming into the void about this i mean here's the thing you're not wrong it's Sucks because it's one of those things where it's so easy to feel helpless and hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's frustrating, I think, you know, especially for Andy and I, because what the fuck are we supposed to do? Not like in this conversation, but just in general. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think what you can do is tell people that it's happening, Yeah, number one. 
And, and vote like, for Democrats. That'll and, that'll fix it. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, vote for. I said there's like a party sort of within the party who right. just can no longer abide this type of legislation. Oh yeah, Russian plans. And so vote for <laughs> like vote for them. Vote uh, support Russian hackers. <laughs> Join a community bank. I think that's a helpful thing. It is funny that this shit happens, and then there's, like, the fucking establishment Democrat wing that's freaking out, like, oh, they won't vote for sanctions on Russia. Meanwhile, there's, you know, no bigger domestic threats whatsoever (laughs) to, you know, the health and financial security of this country. Um, And then just lastly, like... uh, I was going to say, don't support terrorists who support this bill (laughs) in Congress. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, support the banks that actually fund and launder money for terrorists. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was really disappointed at uh, Congressman Bin Laden's support of this bill. Uh, and the m- many wife scandals that he had. Um, he cheated on all his wives. Yeah, with other wives. <laughs> uh, uh, so I guess the last thing we mentioned, uh, custodial banks, which are banks that kind of hold assets for rich people mostly. Uh, big ones that would benefit from this are State Street. We mentioned all their... Um, <clears throat> fraud scandals very recent like you know every bank was doing fraud up until the financial crisis but i thought this was the bank that keeps all the pink stuff you put on vomit uh but very few of them you know just had like the commitment to like stick with the style and be publicly caught doing it that's right continuously like seven or eight or nine years after the financial crisis state street three executives are still undergoing prosecution they'll be one of the hugest beneficiaries of an adjustment to their leverage ratio their supplementary leverage ratio which is this as we mentioned sort of complicated thing that essentially reduces their leverage according to the intercept the fdic has estimated that the capital reduction for these banks would be as high as 30 percent so state street new york mellon and uh, one other big one are going to get this uh, big reduction in their capital ratios, and I can predict no um, negative benefits from that. All right, so when's the crash happening? New York Melon, (laughs) New York Honeydew, New York Pineapple. Northern Trust is another one. So State Street, Northern Trust, New York Melon. Keep an eye on those, folks. (laughs) I think we should take bets as to which one collapses the entire system. I don't like this Northern Trust nonsense. Got the word trust in their name? Come on, bro. <laughs> you know, in the South, they call it the trust of Northern aggression. <laughs> um, and the last thing I want to do, just I do want to name all the Democrats who voted for this nonsense, just so you can know to ignore them when they yeah, come we'll put up. a beat over it. Do it. All right, so here we go. Here we go. You got Senator Tom Carper of Delaware. He's taken money from the financial institution. Senator Chris Coons, uh, also of Delaware. Delaware, interestingly enough, has one of the most lenient um, <clears throat> financial laws in the nation. Uh, they were like kind of implicated in the Panama Papers because a lot of companies incorporate there because there's very little disclosure requirements. And so, of course, the two senators take a lot of money from the financial industry. Uh, so you got those two. You got Joe Donnelly, Democrat, Indiana. You got Maggie Hassan. New Hampshire Democrat. You got Heidi Heitkamp, North Dakota. She's, I think, up for re-election. She took a lot of money for this. You've got, uh, you know, Doug Jones, of course, voted for this because when people in Alabama were crying against Roy Moore, they were like, this guy, if we let this pedophile into Congress, he's not going to deregulate the big banks. He's not going to allow State Street to, uh, you know, reduce its capital reserve requirements by 30%. 
That was that was the the, the chant at Doug Jones rallies. <laughs> Let State Street reduce their capital <laughs> reserve requirements by thirty percent. So Doug Jones voted for this. Uh, lovable Grandpa Tim Kaine voted for this. Uh, other- oh, not Tim Kaine. Or is he a father? Lovable uncle. Lovable brother. All right, so Tim Part Kaine. of the secret to Tim Kaine's success in Virginia politics has been finding a way to appeal to the rural folks in southwest Virginia. And one of the ways he did <laughs> that for was playing them, the harmonica. Throwing their mortgage. Their... He appealed to the rural folks in Virginia by allowing Warren Buffett to kick them out of their homes. <laughs> Part of how he appealed to rural voters was by <laughs> promising to repeal supplemental capital requirements for small and medium banks. But when they get like kicked out, when they like, get foreclosed on, he's he's there with his constituents, just playing them a nice sad tune on the old mouth organ as they drag their <laughs> belongings into the street. I just imagine him like using his Spanish language skills to explain to a Latino person why it's good they're getting discriminated <laughs> against now. <laughs> What's, put, what's Spanish for diez porcento higher interest rate than a white borrower than a Blanco borrower we're gonna put that Bloomberg Spanish oh, yeah. drop in there <laughs> um, so uh, Tim Kaine uh, is a voter for this has taken is this Tim Kaine breaking it down Hell yeah. Is this his song, his hit song, I've taken more than $900,000 from the financial industry in the last five years, according to Splinter News? That song was a hit. It's like, who do you think bought the harmonica? <laughs> you look on there, it just says property of J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, Angus King is the independent we mentioned from Maine. He voted for this. Uh, Joe Manchin, up for re-election in West Virginia, Democrat. He voted for this. Joe Manchin, of course, a big fan of uh, killing coal miners. Uh, We'll get into that in another episode. Claire McCaskill, Democrat Montana, has taken more than 800000 from financial uh, services. Not Claire. She voted for this. Uh, Senator Bill Nelson, Democrat, Florida. Florida, of course, known for their very stringent financial standards and uh, never overvalued property market. Interestingly enough, the uh, Great Depression was actually also preceded by a property boom and bust in Florida in the 1920s, uh, as well as the Great Recession. Uh, Senator Gary Peters, Democrat, is uh, MI Minnesota? I should probably know this. I think it's Missouri. You're right. It's probably Missouri. Anyway, he voted for this. Um, Sen- Not him. <laughs> Senator Janine Sheehan, no relation to Janine Garofalo, uh, Democrat New Hampshire. Because <laughs> they both have the same name? Yeah. Listen, she- Sean, I, I can tell you're grasping at straws and I'd help you out, but only one of these people plays harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, you know, I we all set ourselves shot ourselves in the foot where we're like, yeah, let's do a comedy podcast about complex finance where like 40 minutes of it is just set up trying to explain finance. <laughs> first off, the first 30 minutes is us trying to understand it ourselves. And then the second 30 minutes is us trying to explain it to our listeners who probably tuned out 20 minutes ago. Well, you're going to have a fun game, game, ladies and gentlemen. I want to state, thank State Street, 
<laughs> New York Melon. New York Melon on the drums. Northern Rock, which will now be able to uh, market hedge funds with the same name as financial institutions. Uh, thereby... Uh, Clayton Holmes on drums. <laughs> Uh, John Tester, of course, we mentioned Democrat Montana, taking more than uh, 780000 from financials. Uh, Debbie Stabnow, Stabenow, uh, also Missouri or Minnesota. We're not sure. Uh, it's Missouri. It's Missouri. Okay. She's uh, Missouri. Missouri is M.O. So it's Minnesota. Minnesota is no. M.N. M.N.? Mississippi? <laughs> M.I. is Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways. Um <laughs> Gordon Trust provided the catering. Uh, just more harmonicas. <laughs> and of course, big shout outs to our boy, Senator Mark Warner, who of course uh, wrote that uh, part of Section 202 that would uh, make sure that broker deposits are uh, not subject to additional scrutiny. You know, looking out for people gaming the FDIC rules. Uh, he has taken over $1.3 million from financial services. The forgotten Warner brother. <laughs> Um, all right, so I guess we just do the game, and then we'll harmonica out of here. Sounds good to me. All right, so what's the game? Who's all right, ladies and gentlemen. You, you wait it. You waited you wait the whole it. episode, and here we are. And now, your treat. Guys, I know what you're thinking. These, this group of dipshits thinks that they know the truth Aww. about the stock market and trading and capitalism but i know better well now you got the chance to show us better with the number 198 rated game in finance best brokers stock market game we are going to uh fire up this game it's there there are a bunch of stock market simulators where you get a set amount of money and then you trade real stocks and then you just see how much money you can make earn real money you do not earn real money. Oh, damn it. Uh, but you do earn real satisfaction. You have a chance to beat a grub staker at our own game. Yes, the and- reason we went with Best Brokers is it's available on both iPhone and Android and uh, maybe the other ones. And Not available on Linux. And you can friend people. <gasps> And then you can play against them. So we're going to all get our names. Uh, mine is Grubstakers Andy. There's going to be Grubstakers Sean, Grubstakers Steven, and Grubstakers Yogi. And we're all going to start out with $25,000 when this episode drops. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see who can do the best investing. And once, if you friend us, then you'll join our little leaderboard and get and to compete with us. it's a race to a us. billion. That's the that's the goal. We're yeah, you start at twenty five thousand, yes. and it's a race to a billion. <laughs> yes, which is entirely possible. Investing in the stock market with twenty five thousand dollars. I think the person who's going to win this game is the last person among the four of us who's alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like seventy years from now. Um, but so, so you can pay money in this to give yourself more money. We're going to say don't do that. Honor system. Uh, yes, if you're going to spend money, just give it to us directly, and we will declare you winner of this game. <laughs> or you got to spend real money to make fake money. Yeah. Yeah. What if, if the market collapses? Do you get a, a virtual fake money bailout from this app? <laughs> um, but yes, I, you know what? I have not done any research, but I will say from this, I will be putting all of my money into Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett's new foreclosure on mobile homes machine. <laughs> Andy, and, what are you going to put your money in? Uh, I put all my money in weapons manufacturers. Mm-hmm. 
as well as uh, oil companies and prescription drug manufacturers. I like to trade. I, I figure the most evil corporations are going to get the best returns. Steven? Uh, I'm going to put it into eating ass companies mainly. <laughs> I like it. And weapon, Man after arms, my own heart. Arms oh, distributors. Arms distributors. Yeah. Uh-huh. Raytheon. Yeah. And also, you know, State Street, New York Mellon. All the, all the guys who are really going to heat up when this Senate bill becomes a law. Actually, on my... Uh, so I've had this running. I'm gonna the the only I'm the only one who's gonna spend money because I've been playing this for oh, a so while. Head start. Yeah. Wow, Andy. So I'm at thirty thousand, but I'm gonna spend three dollars to reset it to twenty five. Oh, okay. Uh so I don't have a lead, but my best performers are Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and Raytheon. <laughs> well, just wait till John Bolton gets confirmed a national security advisor. <laughs> Andy wins the game immediately. <laughs> You can also get like massive. They let you trade uh, crypto on here, so you can get massive returns uh, really Not quickly, uh, or <laughs> the opposite, depending on uh, you know whether someone sneezed, whether one of the the Winklevoss Winkies sneezed on his computer earlier so in the day. So, if you play with us and you join our app game shenanigans and mm-hmm. you win, we'll give you two dollars on Amazon. That's fair. Two dollars. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. We can each put up 50 cents or (laughs) 75 cents. However much. Fuck. I can't do math. Sean will put all of the two (laughs) dollars in. I'll put the two dollars in. But but, uh, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, We appreciate you listening to our podcast and let us know what you like about it. If you want Andy to do more drops, like I always say he should, let us know. And more importantly... There weren't a lot of Dodd-Frank drops for this one. (laughs) Uh, He was there on the harmonica. (laughs) That's true. He did did do some killer harmonica work today. Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe and all that nonsense. We don't tell you any shit usually, but uh, we crossed 500 hits and we wanted to say thank you to our listeners. Thanks for our listeners. uh, Because uh, without you, we're literally yelling at the void. Yeah, and um, just last thing. So the Senate bill still has to pass the House. Um, The Republicans there are threatening and saying we want to get rid of the Volcker rule entirely and gut Dodd-Frank more. But I think in the end, they're going to succumb and just say, all right, this is all we can really get. And I think the House is going to pass this. But I would still encourage you, if you have time, to contact your rep and your senator and just tell them they're a fucking idiot if they vote for this. They probably are going to ignore you. But you know what? Just remember their names and vote against them as soon as you can because they're not your friend. That's all I would say. And with that, my name's Yogi Polywall. Steve Jeffers. Andy Palmer. Sean McCarthy. Let's go Buffett. Make me some money, baby. <laughs>